What is God asking of you? What does the Bible say about his expectations? In this season of Fast, Pray, Give, we'll dig deeper into God's word and learn how we can live that out in our everyday lives. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Um, I'm going to share with you from Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4, understanding God's love, timing, promises, and plan. At Living Streams, we've been in a fasting season, just like many of you have been involved with, and I want to talk with you about what it means to love God and, and to be loved by God, to understand his timing, his promises, and his plans. And this story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, and then his temptation from the devil when he was um, fasting in Matthew 4, to me, illuminates truth in a way that I think will be really helpful to you. The first part is understanding God's love. Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending and descending like a dove and alighting on him. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you'd help me preach your word. I ask, Lord God, that you would help us grasp what it means to be in Christ, to be able to be anointed, to be loved, to be cherished, to have your arms around us, to be ones that you considered favored. Help us, Lord God, to know your truth so that we can receive it and communicate it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a passage of scripture that I've read many times, and, and especially in the early days when we only had a few people in our church, and I'd go out in the desert and pray, and I'd say, Lord, I know what we need for success. This is all we need. All you got to do is open heaven and let your spirit come on me. If you'll do that, we'll be good to go. A few miracles, that's all I'm asking for. I'm willing to be famous for you, Lord. I'm willing to be famous for your sake, of course. Give us a few miracles. And the truth of the matter is the Lord gave us miracles just enough so that we knew the source the source of the blessing, the source of the grace, the, the true head of the church, so that I've never been able to take credit for what God does, but I've really been able to enjoy it because it's a great, great privilege to follow Jesus for each and every one of us. So I want to talk about this story for a few minutes. John the Baptist was out in the desert, in the wilderness, preaching. And to get to where he was preaching, you had to walk. And there were no good roads. There was no fast food stops along the way. There was no toilets along the way. You walked a long way to hear a message about sin and, and what sin did to you. And there was something about this guy who had been filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb who had been empowered by God to declare a message, who had been prophesied about that he would make the, the mountains come down and the valleys come
come up, and he would prepare a way for the Lord. He was the guy that when people heard, they wanted to repent. They, they, they recognized that there was something missing in their life, and they asked God for forgiveness for their sin, and they got baptized by the thousands. So Jesus goes out to see what's happening, and he knows his time has come. And as he's approaching John, John sees him from a distance. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the reason I was sent. I'm not worthy to literally tie his sandals. He is greater than I am. Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 12 that there's never been a man greater, born among women, than John the Baptist. Never been a greater man. And that's Alexander the Great or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. None of them were greater than John the Baptist. He accomplished something that took the power of the Spirit to accomplish. And then he said, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven. The, the little ones are greater than John. Because all John could do is convince people they needed forgiveness. But those of us who are in the kingdom, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a grace to help people not just understand where they've fallen short, but to give them a brand new life, to give them the grace of God, the truth of God, the meaning and the purpose and the significance of life, to give them a sense of hope and destiny, to bring them into, after they've been baptized, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of God that make them productive. That's a great privilege. That gives us an opportunity that John never had. So Jesus comes up to John. John says, hey, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, no, this fulfills righteousness. This is the plan of God. I'm not going to ask my disciples to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So he humbles himself and he gets baptized and most people probably just thought, well, he's a sinner just like the rest of us. Only John knew what was really happening until heaven opened. Until it, it says in the Gospel of Mark describing this scene that heaven was torn open and the Spirit of God came down like a dove. And when a, when a dove lands, it's not like a duck. If you see a duck land on a pond, they just sort of crash land and make, make a splash. But when a dove lands, it, it, it sort of does a, a back, a fli, a back a pedaling in the air with its wings, and they land really soft, real gentle, real subtle. Powerful, visible picture of subtle presence of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit had come on people for a task, a task like um, uh, proclaiming a message, a task like doing a one-time miracle, a task like playing a song that made a demon leave the, the king. But now the Spirit came down to rest, to never depart on Jesus. And there's a voice that spoke from heaven. In verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my guy. 
and I love him. He's my son. I'm pleased with him. He always does what pleases me. And that voice, when it spoke, was a declaration of a relationship. It was not something that surprised Jesus. It was something he knew. He knew because he was always doing what pleased the Father. But it was for all of us, for all time, to understand something. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about fasting. And, and I've been practicing fasting for the last 46 years, ever since I was a disciple. And because I believe when Jesus says that God will reward you when you pray in secret, he'll reward you openly. When you fast in secret, he'll reward you openly. Even though he doesn't explain the reward, if he's talking about a reward, count me in. I'm down for it. I'd like it. You know, there's, there's a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of cost to being a disciple. But when there's a reward, we don't want to miss it. You don't have to understand it. As a matter of fact, there's all kinds of things that the Lord tells us to do, starting with getting baptized when we're believers, that we don't understand. Why should I do that? Well, I got baptized as a baby by my parents. Well, do you, was that your commitment to Christ? Well, no, it was sort of their thing. Well, then get baptized. Well, I'm not really sure why. Well, because Jesus said it. What, what our job is when we make disciples is to teach them everything Jesus teaches us, right? He tells us, he said, whatever I've taught you, tell them. And the best way for me to explain how God rewards us, you do what he says and you get what he promises. It's a great deal. You'll understand why he said it after you've done it. You won't understand most of the time until you're willing to obey. Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Those that hear the word of God and obey it. And I, I believe the Lord's always speaking to us. Recently, I was re thinking about coming out here, so I was remembering stories about me and Nathan. And we got along pretty good in the church, but when we would go out and play golf, we were like, we, we, we both love to play, we both love to win, and we love to show the other guy who's best, right? So one time we're playing on this North Scottsdale course, and, and he hits his ball in these tall weeds. They're like this tall, and, you know, it's, that's what happens, you know, Nathan. <laughs> Two-stroke penalty if you can't find it, and you got to go back. And, uh, but he just starts trampling them down. I mean, he could be a landscaper. If this gig doesn't work out, he'll do fine. He tramples down all these weeds, spots his ball, and takes this huge hack and just blasts it down the fairway. And then he comes back in the cart with this big smile. And I say, you know, it, it's a one-stroke penalty when you uh, destroy the, the brush like that. You, you, I'm going to have to charge you. And he wasn't too happy about that. And as I, I'm thinking about this, in pref, you know, coming here, I'm thinking, you know, and the Lord speaks to me, Mark, if you were a half-decent pastor, you would have just told him, take a free drop, you know? <laughs> Show him that, that there's grace. Show him there's something more important than winning. So if he learns that, he did not, not get it from us, okay? It's because you guys have helped him keep growing. Anyway, the voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm pleased. Now, in verse 1 of Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, pause with that for a moment. 
Most people think that if you're being led by the Spirit, the traffic light should turn green, you find a parking place, everything works out, right? I mean, God's in it. Look at this. This is confirmation. What you haven't probably done is read the New Testament closely, because in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 13, they're all fasting, they're praying, and the Holy Spirit says, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to do, and they go off on the first missionary journey, and all hell breaks loose. Really, everything that could go wrong goes wrong. They're, they run into riots. They run into false prophets. They have, they have one conflict after another. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit does not lead us into just wonderful tranquility, grace, and all the things work together. He, he leads us into battles, spiritual battles, where there's darkness, where there's conflict, where there's temptation where there's issues. Jesus is being tempted by the devil. He's going to fast, and the fasting is going to make them hungry. And what, what guys experience when they're hungry and they're frustrated is not always pleasant to be around, is it? It's not always mellow, nice, kindness. And, and the devil comes after him when he's at his most vulnerable. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. He's starving. Real, real hunger. He needed to eat or he wasn't going to live long. But for some reason, the Spirit led him into this confrontation. And I'll, I'll give you one of the reasons why you're going to get tested, why you're going to get tempted as this church grows. As this church grows, it's going to be a, a wonderful spiritual experience. But there's also going to be conflict. There's also going to be people that are going to show up that are going to be here for the wrong reasons. They're going to be here to, to do a multi-level marketing thing or to get you to invest in something that isn't necessarily healthy. There's going to be guys showing up for the beautiful women. There's going to be women showing up for the guys. There's going to be all kinds of reasons that people come to a church. And, and things that, that shouldn't go on would start to go on unless there is some discipline, unless there's some order, unless there's some authority, unless there's some discipleship. This is supposed to be a safe place, a healthy place. This is where the kingdom of God is manifest on the earth. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close by. He brought the grace of God from heaven to earth so that we can experience together the meaning and purpose of life. But oftentimes for the kingdom to be established, it says in John chapter 12 when Jesus had talked about John the Baptist, he said, the, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What does that mean? That means that there's a violent struggle to break free from all of the temptations and all of the, the, the machinations of the world, which is all about sex and money and fame and, and, and recognition. To enter the kingdom, the kingdom where it's about love and service and grace and peace and blessing. It's a whole different realm. So 40 nights, 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus is hungry. Now I want to talk a little bit about understanding God's timing. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That's, that's a fairly interesting request. 
Why would the devil tempt him to eat? Because obviously there's nothing wrong with bread. I mean, if you walk out of this service and somebody says, hey, I, I just baked some bread, you want a slice or you want a loaf? You're like, yeah, that looks great. That'll go with my lunch. Uh, I love homemade bread. There's no sin in eating bread, right? Not unless the Father has given you a different assignment. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's literally saying there's something more important than me eating. My Father, my, the living God, has given me an assignment, and the assignment is to follow the Spirit, and the Spirit has been leading me on this fast. Now, some of you probably didn't participate in the fast because God didn't speak to you. Well, let me suggest something. I believe you've got anointed leadership. They pray for you. They want nothing more than for you to grow and mature in Christ, discover your gifts, have a blessed family, have a blessed business, be a man and woman of God in your sphere of influence. They're seeking the Lord as to what's best. And if they come up with something for this church, I want to challenge you. Get with the program. Don't miss out. Don't think God has to speak to you personally about everything. If he speaks to them on your behalf and you decide to cooperate in the next step of your spiritual growth, this church will be blessed if you're willing to do that. They're, they will not manipulate you. They will not jerk you around. They're not going to lead you into any weirdness or call me. And I will come and personally talk with them and challenge them. But I've known this couple for many, many years. They have one thing in mind. It's the same thing they desire for their kids. They, and, and they're newly adopted children. And that is the blessing of God on your life. You developing your full potential and then being released to serve God. This is a spiritual family, an incubator that, that is going to produce grace and blessing. So the key here that we're talking about when I get back on track is the timing of God. Jesus said there's something more important than eating now. And I want to suggest to you that understanding God's timing is a key to understanding God's blessing. When, when a young couple comes to me for marriage counseling, one of the first things I'll ask them, and, and I, I don't necessarily like asking this question, but if they want me involved in their marriage, that means I believe they want God's blessing. I'll say, are you staying celibate? And I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, what difference does it matter? We love one another. We're going to get married anyway. And what I explain to them is that I want to see God's blessing on your entire life. I'm concerned with after you say I do. What's going to happen in five years or 10 years or 20 years? You're going to be celibate either now to prepare for God's blessing or you're going to be celibate afterwards. 
Trust me on this. It's worth the sacrifice now. When the Lord says avoid fornication, he's not doing it to manipulate us. He's doing it so that our spiritual roots grow deep, so we learn to communicate, so we build a respect, so we can pray together. There's nothing more important for a wife than that her husband would pray for her because you have an authority as a husband to bring a blessing on your wife that no pastor, no leader, no evangelist has. It is something that God will honor. But if she doesn't respect you because you want sex now, that you want uh, everything now, a a self-gratification, you will have lost the greatest honor and privilege you could ever have. Now, I'm I'm way off track here for a minute, but I want to say this. That can be restored. It can be restored at any time if you come clean with one another in the Lord, that you haven't lived according to God's timing but you've got to get with God's timing and you will get challenged and you will get tempted. Every one of us do. Uh, Marriage is not a solution that that eliminates temptation, is it? Any guy in here or, and most women would say the same thing. We're all vulnerable to temptation because we're all human. But there's something greater than immediate gratification. And Jesus said it, it is every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a communication from the one who created heaven and earth, a realization that he knows me, he loves me, he's chosen me, he's going to use me. That's what I want from my life, and that's what we can expect as we follow Jesus. The second thing here is understanding God's promise, or the third point, I should say. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is an awesome promise. Um, Basically, the Lord said in Psalm 91, my angels are going to take care of my son. He will not break a bone. He will not stumble and fall in in a harmful way. My angels will cover my son. And there was times when Jesus said, hey, I could call for a legion of angels. I could call for hundreds and hundreds of angels. But this was a different scenario. This was a setup. And it's a setup that if you don't understand, will cause you some trouble. Or at least if you do understand it, you'll be able to help some other people. And here's what Jesus said in response to the devil's temptation. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Was there a real promise that the angels would take care of him? Yes, there was. Was Jesus weak? Was it a long way down from the top of the temple down to the ground again? Wouldn't it have been easier if he could have just jumped and they carried him uh, softly to the landing? Yeah, that would have been a lot easier. Is it supernatural or is it the rational mind of man that protects us? It's not an either or, it's both and. If you're a servant of God, the angels will protect you and sometimes your own mind will protect you. And if you think you can suspend judgment because of God's promises, that's 
naive. That's actually tempting God. And that's what some people do. Some people say, uh, why should I go out and, and take some job that is beneath me when God promises to provide for me? I'm just going to wait. And his wife is really upset because the bills are due and it seems like the guy's being lazy. And he's saying, well, God promises to provide for us, right? And, and his wife might quote, Second Thessalonians, it says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Some people say, it doesn't really matter whether or not I sin because God promises to forgive our sins if we ask him. And I've asked him in the past and he's forgiven me in the past. And the scripture also says that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, that it really, really matters what we do. It says fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So you can be forgiven, but there can also be significant consequences to your behavior. It's not either or. It's not either the supernatural deliverance or the soundness of human mind. It's both. We need to think things through. We need to see the bigger picture of Scripture. We need to help people grasp that we have a supernatural God, and he's also given us common sense. The fourth and last part of this is understanding God's plan. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. All of it. The, the, the wealth of China, the wealth of Egypt, the wealth of India. I'll give it all to you. Think of all the good you can do. Think of the things you'll be able to accomplish with the money, with the armies. You'll be able to bring peace to the world. You'll be able to do incredible things. Everybody will know that God has sent his son to the earth. Let's do this together. Let's partner up. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Get away from me, Satan. I'm not compromising with you. I'm not doing any deals with you at all. My destiny is in the hands of my Father. What the world needs is not more people with more money who think they can do more great things because they've done these deals and some of them are a little slippery, but they're going to give their tithe to God. That's not what the Lord's looking for. He's looking for more people who have his spirit abiding on them, who can deliver his word in a way that makes it live. He's looking for more people with his spirit on them that can hug the little children who have stone-cold hearts so that they can understand that there really is a Father in heaven and there are men on the earth who represent him well and will not abuse you, will not beat you for a senseless reason, and who will be faithful to you because they have a Father who's been faithful to them. That's what the world needs. The world needed the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so we could receive the Spirit and the love that he has for us, so that we could heal from the inside out, not 
have more to eat, more to drink, a bigger house to live in, bigger cars, more technology. Some of that stuff is absolutely fine in its place, but without the grace of God, it's totally empty. There's more food, more houses, more clothes, and more depression, more addiction, more alienation, more heartbreak in our society now than ever. Jesus came, and we have a choice about whether we're going to follow him as real disciples or whether we're just into a cultural Christianity and taking his promises like they're just going to make us feel better. One of the things Nathan said to me a couple weeks ago when we were together, he said somebody uh, came up to me and was asking me if I'm a prosperity preacher, and he was preaching some prosperity, and he said, no, I'm a, I'm a suffering, hardship preacher. And I, I loved that. I mean, I didn't quote him exactly right, but I love that idea because what he's really saying is, I, I'm going to tell you there is prosperity. I'm going to tell you that the kingdom of God has really come, but I'm also going to tell you that we're going to walk through some tears. We're going to walk through some pain. We're going to pick up our cross because we have a mission to know him and to, to hear that favor that he has for us so we can share it with others. There isn't a single person here who can say, I've been obedient all the time. There's none of us who can say, he, when he, the Spirit leads me, I'm, I'm with him always. There, we, we learn, just like Jesus did, obedience through what we suffer. We learn to say yes because sometimes we, we get lazy. Sometimes we get ahead of him. Sometimes we miss it. But the favor that was on Jesus, the voice that spoke from heaven, is something that God wants all of us to hear. And the way we hear it is when we abide in him. When we abide in him, we get the blessing that he earned. We get the favor that came upon him on us. We don't deserve it, but we can receive it. Sometimes we have to wrestle to believe it, but that is the work of God, that we believe in the one that he sent. Now, as we close this service, we want to just invite you to open your heart and, and listen for the voice of the Father. Listen for what comes from heaven because I believe he's got good news for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I pray this morning that you would give your people a sense of favor, a sense of destiny, Lord, you have placed this church as a point of life, as a lighthouse in this desert. You have brought these folks together as a spiritual family. I pray for those who are still on the periphery, on the outskirts, that you would draw them together, that they would learn how to love one another that they would allow their lives to be knit together, that they would use their gifts, their talents, their resources together to accomplish your purpose, to bring your kingdom, to let your kingdom come on earth 
as it is in heaven, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven.